We're doing uh, session three, um, worthy, uh, question mark. Are we worthy? No. That's what we're going to look at today. God welcomes those who approach him in humble and simple faith. We'll be in Luke 18, 9 through 17. Not a usual uh, parable that we'll be looking at today, so we'll... Uh, We'll delve into it a little bit. Definitely has some misconceptions with the end part, and we'll talk about those. We're all the way in chapter 18. We were in chapter 15 last week, right? I think so. Yeah. So let me catch you up. In, in chapter 16, Luke is going to tell the parable, or Luke's going to record the parable. Remember, most of the second half of Luke is about parables, because Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem for his appointment with death. And so he's going along, and it's interesting that Luke um, Luke tells the story this way. Um, I mean, there's some story that goes on, but not a lot. Most of it's teaching. And what we see is that the closer he gets to Jerusalem, his teaching becomes more antagonistic to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. Um, not that he's trying to make them mad, but he's trying to get them to correct their lifestyles. And they're not getting it. And they're mad because they want him to change to their lifestyle. Um, I mean, that's really what's going on. It's two worldviews. And they are completely at war with each other, which, if we look at history, it is always one man's worldview versus another man's worldview that creates a war. I mean, even World War II, World War I. I mean, it was... The clash of worldviews, the way somebody sees the world, and that's, let's face it, Jesus is the only one that sees it in the proper manner. Mm -hmm. His worldview is the right worldview, and so it was clashing with the Pharisees, and they're eventually going to declare war on him and, and hunt him down. Whereas in, you know, major wars, it's whole nation's worldviews versus a whole nation's worldviews and stuff. So here we go. We're going to look at this. We're in chapter 16, or well, chapter 16. It's the unrighteous steward, that parable, and the rich man and Lazarus. It's about these guys who've collected money and view the poor as useless to society, as opposed to what they were supposed to do, which was take care of them, to help them along. I mean, Lazarus was, was so poor... But the rich man was so rich, he wouldn't even let him eat the scraps off the tables. Remember, we talked about that a few, uh, probably two months ago. We talked about how when they would have the dinner parties, they would use the, the bread as a napkin and wipe their hands on it when they would dip it in the bowl and all that. Nobody eats that. They throw it on the floor for the dogs. That's what Lazarus was asking him to eat. Can I just come in and eat what's laying on the floor that you threw away from wiping your hands and face on? And Lazarus wouldn't let him do it. And, the, you know, that, that whole story. You mean the rich man. Huh, the, yeah, the rich man. Wouldn't let it go, yeah. I, this is just a quick catching you up. Luke 17. Keep him straight. Yeah, Luke 17. Jesus is teaching on faith and forgiveness and how the two go together. And guess what the Pharisees don't have? Yeah, they don't have a lot of faith. It's getting, it's becoming personal. That's what we see is this is really becoming personal against the Pharisees because they're the only ones that act this way. Um, then there's the story of the ten lepers. 
Well, was, yeah, and then the uh, teaching on the second coming. See, there, now we, we get a little... He's preparing people, his disciples, uh, that he's going to come again. He's going to die. He's going to come again. All that. He's preparing them. Luke 18, we get to teaching on prayer right before um, the chapter of the verses we're going to look at. The parable we're looking at today is only recorded by Luke. We don't find this parable anywhere else. So this is an important parable to look at in Luke. And so we're going to spend some time with it this morning. Comments, questions before I jump? Okay, let's go. So Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 12. Somebody go ahead and read those. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, even the tax collector. <laughs> yeah, even the tax collector. That ought to tell you something. I mean, <laughs> Jesus is laying it on thick. <clears throat> I mean, have you, have you ever seen one of those spreading knives? You know, it's not a butter knife, but it's a rounded, yeah. real, I love those. They're great for cream cheese and peanut butter. That's what Jesus has got. He's dipping it in, and he is spreading it on. It ain't thinly. Oh, I'm just picturing you doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you probably see it, right? You probably see it. We're looking at a parable. Now, I want you to look into who he's telling this parable to. Who? Huh? Those who trusted in themselves. These are people who their faith was not in God, was it? These are people, and they're, if we go back farther, we see who's sitting at this dinner, or this, uh, whatever it is, luncheon. They're the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They trust in themselves. I can get into heaven on my own. They're, they're basing this. <laughs> They're basing this on what they do. What do we call that? Works. Yeah. Works. Yeah. And when we have works, what does that lead to? Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness or pride. Pride is the inordinate self-esteem or arrogance. And that's what we see going on in this story. The Pharisee in this story is about as arrogant as he can be. I, I, I love this. God, I thank you that I am not. I mean, it sounds it sounds like he, he's, you know, thanking God. It sounds like he's being, you know, spiritual. If you ended right there. Yeah, right. If you would ended right there. I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. You know, those are all pretty bad things. Thank God I'm not a murderer. You know, or or like this tax collector over here. I mean, and he, he probably he's probably pointing at the guy, so God can see. I, I, I'm not like him. The, the phrase "pride goes before a fall" was written for this guy, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Now, what we need to understand, we need a little background. 
There's a reason Jesus chose. Remember, this is a parable, so this didn't actually happen that we know of. I mean, there may have been a similar situation that Jesus witnessed, but this is a parable. Um, the Pharisee says that he fasts twice a week. Now, according to the law, so we go back to Leviticus, back to Moses, either in Exodus, Leviticus, or Deuteronomy, the law only required that you fasted one time per year. All right? There was only one ordained fast by God. Everything else was instituted by the Pharisees. So he fasts, what did he say? I fast twice a week. Where does that come from? Well, the Pharisees added a two-week fast between Passover and Pentecost, which Passover happens sometime in April, sometimes a little, you know, even into March, um, but right there, sometime in there, and it ends, the, the, that period, Pentecost is sometime at uh, late May, June time frame, so like right about now. So think Easter to today. How many weeks has that been? Six, six weeks. You're fasting twice a week for six weeks. That's what they said you had to do. You want to be a good Jew? Fast. But that wasn't the only time. No, no, no. We're, we're Pharisees. we got to add even more weight to this. They also said you had to fast between the Feast of Tabernacle which starts like sometime in September, October, right there, and the dedication of the temple, which took place in early December. So pretty much the whole fall, you know, October, November, early December, twice, twice a week, every week. I mean, that's like that's like the whole year. Halloween it, to early yeah. December. Yeah. Well, no, before Halloween, it'd well, be like Labor Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. To just before Christmas. Yeah. How many weeks is that? <laughs> yeah. Twice a week you gotta fast, at least during that time period, in order to be righteous. God said once a year. There's one fast a year. But no, the Pharisees, oh no, these weeks are holy weeks. We need to fast during them. Yeah. What was the fast that that the law required? Uh, I'm, I don't, I don't look it up. I don't remember off the top of my My guess is it's right before, um, Yom Kippur, yeah, Yom Kippur the, okay. the, the Day of Atonement. It's probably right in there okay. as they prepared for, um, the day that the, the high priest goes into the okay. thing to forgive everybody's sins. That would be my guess, is that it's leading up to that. So, the, this guy is, you know commending himself. And what we have is religious pride. Jesus is attacking religious pride. And remember, we're in um, our outline. We're in part three. Jesus' ministry in Judea and Perea. He's on his way. As I said, he's seriously attacking um, the Pharisees. I mean, this is the, the, the basis for their whole uh, authority. Religious pride. In this case, it's seeing yourself as being holier than God. 
God said one fast, we're holier than God. We say twice a week for 40 weeks of the year out of 52. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's really what's going This guy's thinking, God, thank you for not making me like it. Thank you for making me so godly, so holy, so that I can be like you, or maybe even a little better because I fast even more. Uh, I mean, that's... That, have you ever met people with those attitudes? Mm -hmm. You ever met somebody who, who just... There's whole churches of people like that. <laughs> yeah. Really? Aren't they annoying? This is, this is usual. Treating someone different because they are captured... Are captured by... They said the, the word by got left out of it. Um, that's what we see him doing here with this tax collector. The tax collector stuck in a lifestyle. Uh, apparently he cares. He's not callous. He's at the temple. He's there to pray. We, we're going to see his prayer in a minute. So I would consider him captured. He's stuck in his job, maybe. I mean, these guys had contracts. Uh, you made a contract with the Romans to provide X amount of money for taxes. you got to pay up. Come on, we all know how the mafia works, right? Where do you think it got its start? It was worldwide, and the, and the emperor was at the head, right? You don't, you don't pay what you owe. I mean, it's racket. It's a racket. It's shakedown money. You collect, and you kick up. And this tax collector's stuck. He's got a contract. It could be a 10-year contract. I don't know how long they ran, but that's... He's stuck. In his sin, he can't change his 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 thing, but he's desperate. We're going to see to get out of it. But here's this Pharisee: Is he helping? No. no. Is he even understanding? Wait, what was the lesson like two weeks ago? Loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor. Is he loving his neighbor? Oh, my word. I mean, we're talking about Jesus piling on. And he's like, love your neighbor. Now he's like, look, dude, your religious pride is, is this is not the way to do I mean, you start piling these lessons on top of each other. They all go together, don't they? Mm -hmm. It's pretty funny the way that works, isn't it? <laughs> like somebody planned it, right? Oh, wait, somebody just put all this together, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Wrote it years later. No, no, I don't think so. Jesus told these parables for a reason, and they, they pile on. If we're supposed to love our neighbor, here's the neighbor. He's sitting there. He's caught. He's trapped. He can't do anything. And this guy's just piling it on. Let me heap it on. I'm glad I'm not like him. He's worse, worse than adulterers, extortioners. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's really just heaping it on this poor guy. What we need to realize, though, is with religious pride, what's really going on, is we're putting ourselves ahead of God, right? The thing to remember is this. God won't share his glory with another. He's the Holy One, not us. No matter how well we do, Paul tells us it's but dirty rags, right? Filthy clothing. When we draw more attention to ourselves than God with our prayers, we are allowing pride into our hearts. Years ago, 
we used to do prayer meetings. We finally got rid of them because you know what? A lot of them were, they were gossip sessions. That's what they turned into. People, oh, I, wanna, I, I think we need to pray for so-and-so because of such and such. It's dressed up real pretty like you're being, it's not, it's not, I know what's going on in their lives and I want to tell everybody. Really? They used to get these prayer sheets and, and stuff. And it's like, it's, it's, it was total gossip session. That's, that's what we're seeing. That's what this is. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. We're going to see what it's supposed to look like. But before we do, comments or questions? Yeah? All right. All right, your turn. Chapter 18, Luke 13 through and 14. Somebody read nice and loud. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. All right. That seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? You would think that being that obvious, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Let those words ring in your ears daily. Godly humility versus religious pride. One looks good to men. The other just seems foolish to them, doesn't it? Seeing yourself as a sinner... We don't like that idea. It makes us feel bad, don't we? Pop psychology today would tell you that you're okay. I'm okay, you're okay. Remember that book? Yeah. Y'all are old enough to remember that book. That's what's going on today, isn't it? We're, we're making everything legal so people can feel good about themselves. I think we've gone a little bit too far. I think we've gone a little bit too far. But in, in the presence of God, are we supposed to feel good about ourselves? Is it even possible? Not if you have the right view of yourself. Well, I, yeah. if you're standing before, I, I think of Isaiah yeah. as he's standing in the throne room of God and he sees his actual glory, sees how holy he is. He's flat on his face, begging for his life. Daniel meeting the pre-incarnate Christ. As the man dressed in white has to get him up, stand up, you're okay. You're, you're, you're fine. As he's begging for his life, as we realize seeing yourself as a sinner is not a bad thing. The world wants us to look at ourselves as being normal, as being natural. This is a natural thing and it's okay. Whatever you do is, is, is fine. That's not true. There is a moral imperative from God set before the foundation of the earth. He determined the way things were going to run. It's not just that it's some law that he gave us, but it is what how he expects us to live. And when we fail at this and then dress it over, gloss it over, we're lying to ourselves that he's okay with it. There are so many churches out there today that 
are telling people that it's okay to have sexual relations with the same sex or to change it. It's not okay with God. It's not me. I, you know, me, I don't care what you do. As long as you're not hurting or bothering me, I'm, I'm okay with that. But for me to stand up here and tell you God's okay with it, that's not the same thing. Now, I'm not your judge. He is. He's the one that's going to look on and determine how sinful we are. Now, that's, seeing yourself as a sinner and coming in humbly to him and asking him to be merciful, that's what we see here. That's what Jesus is telling these Pharisees. You're not okay. Yes, you may not be like the tax collector, but you're not okay either. We need to focus on our need for mercy, not other people's need for mercy. See the difference? Yeah. All too often we focus on what oh, that guy over there needs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he's really, really bad, God. You need to show him some mercy. I mean, I, I, I don't need any mercy. Why is he picking on you? He's in a red shirt. He's standing out there. But that's what it is. We, we focus on other people rather than ourselves. All too often we're looking around the church going, yeah, Chris, preach it. That's a message for so-and-so over there. I know it. You're thinking it in your head. You know it. You, you think, yeah, that'll, that'll get that guy. Yeah, this is a message that so-and-so needs to hear. Why aren't they here today? You ever had those thoughts? What are you doing? You're focusing on their need for mercy and not yours because you need to hear it too. God doesn't have them here for a reason. He's got you here. Apparently, he thought you needed to hear it too. Oh, oh yeah. I'm yeah. Today. yeah. We need it. Wait, the problem is, is that we're not even humble in our own heads, are we? Actually, if, we, if what was going on in our heads, the religious pride that's beating us and that's raging in our heads, if it ever came out, people would be appalled. Uh, we wouldn't have nearly as many friends as we thought we had. They probably wouldn't want us to hear the thoughts in their heads. Well, that's true, too. But that's what's going on. This guy, well, that we're seeing into this Pharisee. He's so stupid, he's just spewing it out in the public square in the, at the temple. <laughs> Whereas we see the, the, the tax collector. He knows his place. He's got his face to the ground. He won't even look up at God, which we see. That is the common uh, starting point for anybody who viewed either God or, the, or his throne room. John, Jeremiah, Paul himself. We see Daniel. There are other prophets that, you know, it was either an angel or the pre-incarnate Christ. They all start face-planted. And who lifts them up? Who tells them it's okay? God. Yeah, guess what? That's where we need to start. We forgot to tell us it's okay, right? That's the whole point of salvation, isn't it? Is we started the cross begging <coughs> him to forgive us of what we've done, right? And then he lifts us up, right? That, that's the way this works. As we go to him, we admit where we're at, whether it be... The tiniest sin that we've, that we've done today to some catastrophic sin. I mean, they're, they're, to him, they're all the same. We think of them in those terms, right? That little white line, your wife asks you, does this dress lady look fat? And you, 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 know, you know, dear, you look great, right? 
Yeah, come on. We've all we've all been married long enough. That little white lie is as bad as going out and committing genocide as far as God's concerned. You just lied. Right? Yeah. We need God to be merciful. Because we can't earn our place. Let's take a look at this. Now, I, I, this list is not new. We, we looked at it a couple years back. I think it was 2017. I stole it back from that. We, we kind of came through uh, these passages back in 2017. Um, pride preaches merit. Pride says you can earn it. Merit badges. Put them on there. Your Christian merit badge. Yep, did this today, fasted twice a week, and you start pinning them on, right? Humility pleads for compassion. I can't do it. I can't make it on my own. Pride negotiates as an equal. You realize that? When, when we are prideful about how righteous we are, how godly we are, how completed we are, whatever the current word is for it, uh, we're negotiating with God as an equal. Are we an equal? Are we even close? We think we are. Oh my word, the Pharisees most certainly thought they were on the right footing. God, you said not to do these things. I'm not doing them. So I must be as good as you. <laughs> We've been in churches. We've all know people like this. Right? Humility approaches in need. And that's where we're at. Right now, standing right here, sitting right here, we all are in need. From God. We can't bring him anything. It even looks close like what he expects. Pride separates by putting others down. Pride loves to make camps. Those are, those are tax collectors over there. Those are slight sinners, so they're not too bad over here. We start categorizing people, right? You start putting them in different places. Yeah, those people that sit in front of the sound booth, they're the wild crowd over there, right? They, the ones that sit up front, well, they're the, the holy rollers, right? <laughs> Start uh, looking at them, yeah. Humility identifies with others, recognizing we all have the same need. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's where it's at. It doesn't matter where we're at. We're all on this journey together. Some of you are old enough to remember Pilgrim's Progress. Mm -hmm. The whole idea that we're on the path to the celestial kingdom. We meet people along the path. Some are ahead of us. Some are behind us. Some are falling behind us as we pass them because things happen in life. And people get knocked down. They get stuck. We all have the same need. Pride destroys through its alienating self-service. Pride destroys through its alienating self-service. It is. It's all about the self, isn't it, with pride? Humility says, humility opens doors with its power to sympathize with the struggle we share. That's a tough one, to struggle with somebody else who's struggling with something. And I'm not talking about it like uh, 
death or sickness or whatever. I'm talking about they're struggling with a sin that's got them captive. They are captured by something. And they're trying to overcome it. A lot of times it, it's born out of addiction. That's not an easy that, that's not an easy path to walk with somebody. But that's what humility does. Pride turns up its nose. Ah, oh, I can't be friends with you. Thank you. I can't. And it's not a it's not a social thing, is it? You know, we, we although we often make it that. Pride. It's it, pride that we're better than. Humility offers an open and lifted hand, as we saw with the, who's my neighbor? Rich guy, who's my neighbor? The guy almost dead, laying on the ground. Who's of an opposing, yeah, an opposing race, Samaritan to the Jew, helping him, reaching out that open hand, Oh, man. Why would we do that in this day and age in this world? Have lunch with that guy who's different. Maybe he's gay at lunch. It work. So talk with him. Get to know him. Understand where he is so that you can help him because he's in a struggle. He may not be willing to admit that yet, but we know it. we got to help him out of it. He's a captain. He is held captive in that world by one thing or another. He, he may not even be aware that he is with it, or her, or whatever, and offering that hand. They may, not, they may not take it, but that's what we're here for, right? That's what being a neighbor is, is recognizing, you know what, they're, I'm not better than them. I think we, we've polarized in the church today. We've polarized it that there's those people that are LGBTQ, they're liberals, they're left-wing, we got all kind of names for them. They're those people. Are we holding out that hand and recognizing that we're no better off than they are? They may vote different. They may look different. They may even eat different. I'll tell you, some of those people eat the weirdest things. Oh. <laughs> and then veggie burgers. <laughs> burgers are supposed to be brown cow. Here, here. I like veggies. I like the cow to eat the veggies, and then I grind the cow. You're like a second Siblings, parents, 
You're justifying yourself, so you end up looking down on them. Divorce rate. Just grow up. Divorce rate will show that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is this isn't just for us living in the church spiritually. This works through the whole of life. Any anywhere where there are two groups of people in two different places. Comments, questions. Doing good for time, too. Okay. Luke, chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them in, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs to the, for to them such belongs the kingdom of God. Sure, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Thank you. Okay, this is a passage that gets taken out of context often. Now, I have nothing against um, my friends that work for mm -hmm. like child evangelism fellowship and groups like that. I think that what they do is great. Uh, but I have problem with why they do it. Most of the time they come back to this passage and they're like, if we don't get children saved, then they're never going to get saved. Well, that, and they'll claim this. And this is not what this passage is. Look at where it's at. The context of this passage is in the context of what? What is the context of this, of this passage? Trusting yourself as opposed to trusting the work of your righteousness? Yeah, <laughs> trusting in yourself. It's this whole thing of pride. This is happening right at the time Jesus is telling the parable we just looked at. Do you think they go together? Do you think the author had an intent? Do you think Jesus had a purpose? Yeah. The, 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 the key word in this is the one, let's see, where is it? There's this word right here. I should have made it so that it changed colors. Like. It doesn't say whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a child. That's what everybody wants to read that. But like a child. It's a comparison. The previous parable just taught us about religious pride and humility. And now we come to a real life situation and Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this is a saying, it, whoever, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child. It's a comparative in the context of him telling a story to the Pharisees about pride versus humility. If we don't come, what is less prideful than a child? Because this word child here is, uh, it's, it, it should say infant. If you look up the word in the Greek, we're talking about a baby, probably not more than two years old. The word here, it's not little person. We're not talking one that's old enough to understand and make choices. So this is one that everybody, the idea is, is that it can't do anything for itself. Wait, that goes right back to what we were just talking about, doesn't it? We can't save ourselves through pride. If you don't come 
like an infant that has to have everything done for it, you're not getting into heaven. See, there, there, there is a whole connection here. And Luke is trying to, to make... This isn't about child salvations or child baptisms and all that. They were bringing the children to be blessed by Jesus. Why wouldn't they? A lot of times children are, have sickness. I mean, the mortality rate of the ancient world was not good. So I'm not surprised that they were bringing children. I mean, in Korea, they didn't actually name a child until it had lived 100 days. Because if a child, if it, if it could live 100 days, it was likely going to survive. So they didn't even, they, they didn't name, they were, so there would be a 100-day party. The child lived 100 days. That'll tell you something about the mortality rates. Uh, yeah. So, childlike faith is what we need. And I'm not talking like five. My nephew turned five this week. I'm not talking like the faith he has, that childlike faith. I'm talking about the infant, the newborns. Uh, we're, we're talking that you're totally dependent. I mean, at five years old, he's able to put pancakes in the uh, toaster oven, and he could turn it on if he had to. Uh, he 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 would probably survive. He's pretty he's pretty good. But an infant, you lay the infant on the floor. Okay, there you go. Have at it. Is it going far? Is it doing anything? Is it going to live? You can't even find food, right? It's amazing the way humans are the only animal like that. All other animals instinctively. I mean, horses within minutes of being born are up and wandering around and able to nurse on their own. Nobody, the horse doesn't teach. It chases after mom to get a breakfast. <laughs> All the other animals, instead of birds, mom's got to bring breakfast to the nest. They don't fly for weeks. The humans, I mean, it's just amazing that the human race has survived at all because uh, that crying, screaming of, the, of a, an infant is just absolutely grating on the nerves and that they're not killed by the parents to start with in their first two hours of life. Uh, I mean, yeah, and then, and then it can't do anything. It's not like you can run away. Uh, you know, it, it needs mom. Well, it has something to do with being made in the image of God. I, it must. And we have to be totally reliant on our parents for those early years. And that's what Jesus is calling. Remember how you were like. Yeah. Jesus welcomed those who had nothing to offer. That's the whole point is these children had nothing to offer. And that's why the disciples were chasing them off. Usually these teachers, especially one who was performing miracles, they would take donations. Yeah, pay up. All right. Healing. Bam. You know, kind of take the faith. Heals. That went on quite a bit. Usually because they were trying to get by weapons so they could rebel against Rome. But Jesus was like, no, no, don't chase them away. I let, let the children. Those who have nothing to offer, he wanted them to come. Guess what? God says, come to me. Come to my son. He's already paid up. I will let you in. It's like a sideshow, right? You see the fat woman for a dollar. The yak boy for a dollar. The, the bearded woman for a dollar. P.T. Barnum, right? Well, it's all, 
Huh? Sucker born every minute. Sucker born every minute, right? That's not what God's doing. God's not looking for anything because it's already been paid for. Free of charge. Already paid. Your admissions is good. It'd be like the mayor of New York paying for everybody to go see the circus, right? Yeah. yeah. Come on in. Jesus welcomed those who had nothing to offer him. Infants could not do anything for him. He wasn't building an army, though. Remember, as he's marching to Jerusalem, people think he's going there to declare himself king. But that's not what he did, did he? Yeah, actually it is. He declared himself king by dying on the cross and rising again. He was declaring himself king of kings, not some conquering hero that's coming to save the Jews, which is what they wanted. They just wanted them to kick out the Romans and make Jerusalem for Jews. No. He's coming to reclaim the entire world. He's declared king when God says, okay, this is my son. And he raises him up on that third day. That's a declaration of kingship that there ever was. And then raising him in the ascension to sit to the right hand of the Father. Yeah. He, he didn't need an army of people. Let the children come. Yeah, they got nothing to offer. They're, they're not adding to my numbers. There are churches that don't want children because it doesn't add to their numbers and their coffers. They're, they're looking for adults. Yeah. To come to the kingdom with anything more than nothing. Let me say that again. To come to the kingdom of God with anything more than nothing will not get you in. We seem to think that we bring something. We have this idea, but that's the whole point Jesus is making. Between the parable and the incident with the apostles and the infants, not just, no, we're not talking little kids, infants that offer nothing to him. We need to focus on our need for mercy. We come because we have nothing. How many stories does he tell about poor people being invited into the banquet hall, to the party, because the rich people wouldn't show up when God wanted them to? We're the poor people. We've shown up when God wants us to. The ones out there with the religious pride who think they're okay and that they're God's going to let them in because they're good and uh, all this prevalent stuff. They're the rich people that are saying, I, I, I'm not coming now. I'll come later. And then they get there and what happens? Doors the doors are shut. They can't get in. How many parables? I mean, Jesus tells a, that parable so many different times, so many different ways. The ten virgins. All, I mean, there, there's just over and over again. Do we get the idea? We come with nothing because we've been invited. And we just show up. And those who've been invited who think that, they, that they're important enough that they can show up late. You ever notice that? Rich people show up late for parties. I mean, that's just fashionably late. And they breeze in. I'm here. Yes, notice me. You cannot upstage God's glory. Lucifer tried. That was probably the best chance. Uh, and he didn't manage to do it, did he? His pride got him booted. Uh, comments or questions? No? All right, let's.
let's wrap this up. Believers must safeguard against religious pride. I don't care who we are. Whether you're pastor or the lowliest parishioner in the church, we're all capable of religious pride. We've got to guard against it. Secondly, believers must humbly confess their sins to God. We all have them. Every day, all day, there's sin. Whether it's the smallest little white lie to, you know, premeditated homicide. Uh, there's something somewhere that we've done that we need God's grace. We may not even realize we've done it. We sin that well that sometimes we don't even know we've done something that was sinful. That quick comment under the breath. Because we've got to remember, what goes on in our heads, we're liable for it. Just because we didn't say it out loud, we thought it. God's going to hold us accountable. It's sin. It's sin. There's a higher standard Jesus called us to. That's what they couldn't understand. Then God builds his kingdom on childlike faith. The idea that we have nothing and we come to him and put everything on him. It's like going and playing roulette. Let it all on red 21. And you let it ride. What? How many times has he been to the casino? I need to get him a bag of decaf. He's completely caffeinated. P.T. Barnum, casinos, spreading cream cheese. Schmearing it. Schmearing All right, let's pray. Father. Help us to remember this lesson. We understand it. We know it. But Lord, often we forget it. Help us to live it out this week as we deal with people. Let us be the neighbor that offers the hand, not from a place of superiority, but just out of pure, I want to help, realizing that these people are captured. Lord, that they're stuck where they're at and they need help and we're meant to be that help in your name we pray